Yeah, well, yeah, this is the fun stuff where, uh, you know, when the, the CAD doesn't work, right, because, you know, we did something wrong, and then you get to figure out what, you know, what happened and how you fix it, so... Oh. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've I've heard um, some stories of of smoke plumes, but I, I don't know the details. So I'm I'm hoping to hear some smoke yeah, plume details. Yeah, we've had relatively little smoke, so that's been exciting. <laughs> that's good. If you oh, smoke I literally I, I literally thought the white smoke was just a figure of speech, like not a real thing. And <laughs> when we were in Minnesota, the the hardware team's just like, oh no, no, Steve, like it's actual smoke will come up if something yeah. goes wrong. You, you thought it was like choosing the Pope. Yeah, I thought it was sort of like ah, oh, you know, the um, old magic smoke. So, Steve, did you want to kick us off, maybe? Because you, uh, you may have um, I, obviously this is uh, um, this is a first bring up for you and a lot of education. What was your perception going in? And um, you want you want to lead us off here? Yeah, sure. Maybe just very briefly because I think uh, I like Adam and like everyone is very very excited to hear kind of from Nathaniel's perspective, uh, the coming into this and the stages and, and where things have ended up so far. But, um, yeah, definitely my first bring up, uh, my second real foray into being close, this close to the hardware, the first being, uh, the hardware hacking course that we took, uh, I don't know, December, 2019. Um, and the, I mean, I think the what what I came away. So we went out to our manufacturing facility in Minnesota when we got the first boards off the line, and uh, Nathaniel and Eric and Aaron and Ari and RFK and a bunch of folks were there, and I was there basically just to make sure everyone had coffee and uh, get you know water refilled, smuggle water into the lab, and and um, was. Uh, expecting that i mean sadly i i expected that bring up of a board if things went well would all take place within like a day <laughs> and i did i mean i you didn't get that from me did you did i say that i mean yeah I, I may have contributed to this a little bit of like telling stories about bring ups that actually happened in a day but also with the caveat of that was with an experienced team on like the fourth generation of the product. Well, and also, Rick, we did have a proto board that we are the, the proto board for the the service processor um, running Hubris, which we brought up about a year ago, um, which went which was a day. I mean, I was we just brought that thing up, and at the time, uh, Rick was telling anyone who would listen, like, do not infer anything from this experience. Like, this is not supposed to go this smoothly, and when we have bigger boards, it will get rockier. But maybe you missed the memo on that one, Steve. Definitely. I mean, I, I honestly, when I was thinking day, I was I in my head was like even maybe a couple of hours, and so <laughs> I mean there was there was one moment that will be burned into my memory forever, which was you know the the whole team is kind of standing over and and sorry I'll after this like I think we want to go back to the beginning and walk through this, but uh, we were at the point of applying fifty four volt load and like testing whether the you know, obviously the first stage of power would come on. And in my mind, I think with all the buildup and all the time going back from the design into actually having a real physical artifact in our hands and then applying power, I kind of felt like it was this big milestone moment. And when that was applied and no magic smoke showed up, I remember like raising my hands and like maybe yelling, <laughs> like very, very excited. <laughs> and 
everyone turned their heads like what are you what are you doing like this is like the first of 24 right it's gonna take like weeks this is like the first pitch of the game and and, and you you have just exploded in the jubilation that a strike has been thrown basically now steve do you remember what day that was because it's all kind of a blur to me um that was day three okay but we got there at night on Monday, so I think it was Wednesday. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so we had spent, like, a, probably parts of two days um, going through and just doing power checkout and making sure that, you know, the resistors we intended to put on were there and the resistors we didn't intend to put on were not there. You know, those kinds of things, right? Well, and, you know, this is actually an important point because you also, in doing that, in checking all the resistors and checking all the caps, you got, the issues that you found in that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there were a a couple of parts that, you know, we intended to know stuff, which means, you know, not don't install. And uh, we messed up the property or messed up the bomb when we shipped it to our vendor. And so those parts got installed. And, uh, you know, you also do standard things like power plane checkouts. You want to make sure your power and ground planes aren't shorted together. And so we found a couple of surprisingly low resistance values between some of the planes (laughs) and so there was a a little bit of a freak out about that and we you know sent one of the boards back for x-ray to make sure that you know the the part that you know interacted with those two planes wasn't shorted and it wasn't and we had some help from uh cliff and rick you know back in other parts of the country uh beeping out some of their uh their test hardware which had the same kinds of chips on there to prove that, yeah, some of these chips really just have low powered off resistance. And I mean, powered off stuff is like, there's no data sheet for powered off parts. So you kind of don't know what you're getting. And the thing is, is it worth, can you step back a minute and maybe talk about this board and, and what's on it and what, you know, the, like what we're talking about here? Yeah, so, so this is our server board. So we've got uh, an AMD, uh, it's, we're targeting an SP3 socket family part. So we're gonna go with the Milan Silicon. Uh, it's got uh, a bunch of uh it's got 10 uh pcie uh by four sem connectors which will go to the front for our u.2 hard drives um it's got you know a bunch of dims on it so i think uh we can sit 16 dims on there uh and then we have uh you know our control plane stuff so like our totally not a bmc as steve likes to say <laughs> um and and so that's our you know h7 arm processor and our root of trust, and we have a, um, a 100 gig NIC, uh, NIC chip down there on the board. So this is all on one monolithic board, um, and then all of the power supplies and everything that goes with that. So, and then w- one I think important property for this is that there's not a, a a traditional power supply on this board. So this is plugging directly into a DC bus bar at 54 volts. Right. No AC. Um, all right. So yeah, yeah you want to take it. From, so we spend basically more or less two days not powering, just doing all of your pre-power checkout. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Aaron and uh, Robert Keith did a lot of the beeping out, but you know, there's you're, there's only so much you can kind of do. And then you know, as we go through that, we're doing some schematic comparisons too, and catching. There were a few like uh, already known bugs with the board. So we already knew some parts had to be swapped. And so we're trying to coordinate rework with our manufacturing partner uh, to get some of the parts that like, we don't want to necessarily have to solder on the bench replaced, Uh, especially like uh, these multi-phase power supplies have huge inductors. 
and the inductors are really not fun to do on in a bench setup so you'd rather have them go you know use some of their big equipment and and take care of that and so we knew those values were wrong going out there so we had reels of new parts but we had to have those swapped over um our manufacturer noticed that um you know there were some Samtech connectors that uh don't have a clear pin one indication and so they had been installed backwards so you know we had a bunch of stuff that we had to kind of coordinate with them to get flipped back around before we did power up and when you're saying beeping out just to i the, the, you were referring to that very reassuring beep that one gets from the digital multimeter when you are testing for resistance and you have connectivity i assume yes yeah if you turn that feature on right yeah so i mean sometimes we might talk about beeping it out even without the beep because sometimes the beeps get annoying <laughs> but yeah we're we're looking at you know uh resistance between you know whatever two conductors you're looking at at that point and you when where you expect to hear the beep is where you expect to have low resistance so then you get to the moment that Steve has led us up to, uh, that Steve believes is going to be, we're going to turn on 54 volts and walk away from this thing. Uh, yep. Um, and so you take us through that, take us through that initial power. Okay. So, um, so we, you know, we had uh, a Chroma bench supply there. Um, Eric, who's on the call had, you know, had a lot of that set up. Uh, and, you know, we, we hit the power button on the bench supply and it current faults. And so like, that's, you know, probably expected we were pretty conservative with our uh, current settings but you know when you're bringing up a new board you always want to have a power supply that's current limited because uh you know something might go wrong and you don't want to melt things and so uh use a current li limited supply uh, it turned out you know after we we went through um a little more troubleshooting the current limit on the chroma was just way too low and so you know you slowly increase that until you can get over uh, you know, a lot of times on a, a blank board, you've got a lot of inrush as the capacitors charge up, and we have a bunch of capacitors on the 54 volt side. So uh, you get you get the uh, 54 volts up, and so at that point, we want to check, you know, all of the the 54 volt supply. We want to make sure that uh, what we call our IBC, so that's our 54 to 12, the big converter that kind of deals with most of the rest of the stuff, is off at that point. We want to make sure he's he's off and happy. We want to look at any derived power from the 54 volts and make sure that those are all uh, solid. And so, the, you know, that stuff all checked out really well. And, and Nathaniel, just on the current limiter, just to make sure as a, as a dumb software guy, I understand. Basically, you're saying if something is shorted and you don't have a current limiter, then the board is just a, a smoking pile. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, okay. the board becomes the fuse. And so <laughs> okay. whenever the, the trace is small, right, you will you will... Uh, you'll either heat it up or it will it will blow as a fuse, and then th now you've broken something you didn't intend to break. Got it. Cool. And then so and I Matt Sai, I saw you, you're here. I, I know you were uh, diligently asking us for our uh, our bring up updates, and I was kind of deferring you to next week for a while. So um, I'm glad that you're here. You can get the, uh, the get it live here. Um, oh yeah, Brian. Uh, thanks for letting me in on this. Um, I am really curious. I was looking at the photos posted by Nathaniel earlier today here. There's this big no man's land yes. in between the front and back half of the board. <laughs> yes. What um, goes into no man's land, Nathaniel? Yeah. So we have a, a double stack of fans that sit right there. Oh, that, uh, so the, yeah. The, the fans are connected to the chassis. Uh, those are also important to keep, you know, the server cool and everything. Um it from a like electrical design perspective they're kind of annoying because they're like right in the middle of where you might like to put stuff and they take up most of the vertical space in the chassis 
So uh, we, we have basically nothing on top stuffed in that area so that the whole chassis there. So there, there are three sets of double, I think three sets of double stack fans. Yeah. Three sets um, of dual rotor. Sit there. Yeah. And eight, so 80 I, millimeter you know, fans. Those things can yeah. move a lot of air. And they are very loud. Yeah. Um, and then we have a shroud that goes over the CPU heat sink and the DDR, you know, slots and all of that and blows air. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, okay. Eric, go ahead. No, more conventionally, like they'd be in the back, but then because of the fact that we're using a cable backplane, those connectors take up some vertical space. So we'd have to use smaller fans if we went in the back of the chassis. And so it was a trade-off of board space versus available like cross-sectional area of a fan. And the bigger your fans are, the easier it is to run them a little slower and still get plenty of air moving through them. Yeah, in fact, actually, the big change we had to make with these fans is they actually default to their lowest PWM um, being 5,000 RPM, which is super loud still. Um, so we actually had them modify the fans down to 2,000 RPM so they can run a little quieter. <laughs> little quieter. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully last a little longer. Because if you're not running them at the utter hairy edge, hopefully they'll not smoke their bearings too quickly. And so being in the middle of the chassis, does that present replaceability issues or? Uh, so, I mean, for better or worse, those are actually the easiest things to get out. So when you're, when you're in a chassis, um, the fans uh, kind of drop down from the top and they, um, and then there are connectors on the board. And so you, you got to pop three connectors kind of back near that black heat sink in the picture. And then um, the, the chat, the whole chassis that holds all the fans together, just ba essentially lifts out after you take a couple of screws out the side. And so we, as you may infer, we made yeah. the deliberate design decision to not make those fans hot pluggable for a bunch of reasons that we can get yeah. into. But the, the 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 you've got to pull the the sled out to replace the fans, and we we've got what we call the the three up design where that whole fan apparatus comes out as one piece and you replace it with a new one. So the, with the logic being, if one of those fans has failed, the other two are going to be due. All right, so Nathaniel, you want to take us... So you, so we've got this thing. Uh, we don't have smoke pouring out. Um, Steve has... Yeah, no smoke. Steve has done a jersey slide strangely through the Bring Up Lab. <laughs> everyone everyone right. looking at him awkwardly now. Yeah, so we have we have a really small Ice 40 FPGA in that power domain, and so it, you know it has some derivative supplies um, that deals with some of the very low level like presence detect and link management stuff. Um, and so that guy had to be programmed. Of course, that's where you start running into some of our first problems, where you know we had a schematic issue where the you know spy signals were swapped around, and so you know then that means we got to hop in there and pull some resistors off, and you know put some wires on and that kind of thing. Um, to get the dongle talking to, or to get it to, so that it could talk to Flash and configure itself. And, and that um, was, as I recall, like that was a very quick issue to debug. Oh yeah, yeah, that one was that was pretty easy because uh, the we have a header there to talk, and so we could talk to the Flash part, or we I think in in reality we could talk to the FPGA and not the Flash part, and so that was it was pretty clear to figure out what direction was swapped, and then once you have that, you you program the Flash part and off you go. And this is one of two FPGAs that we've got. Correct. And so yeah, so yep, that's a little tiny Ice Forty um, that you know uh, it's a thousand a thousand LE part basically, and then we have a uh, an eight K Ice Forty that does a lot of our power sequencing, uh, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later. 
Yeah, we'll get to them later. All right, so we get so we figure that out pretty quickly and get the, ignition. I feel got programmed pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Once yeah, once the dongle was talking, then it was up, and you know, Arian had uh, a design kind of ready to go so that we could uh, you know turn the thing on and off you know on the bench, which is what we wanted to do. And yeah, so that that was all good. And so then uh, then you move to uh, that that controls the IBC, right? So the IBC is our 54 to 12 volt converter, and that becomes like the like the power for basically everything else on the board. At that point, they all derive off of that 12 volts from the IBC. And so um, prove that the IBC works. You know, I think we had to add a pull down or something because he was a little unhappy when the FPGA was configuring um, little, you know, issues like that. Uh, but then 12 volts is up. And so then we start looking at all of the supply rails again that are on by default when 12 volts is up. And so, you know, you kind of like rinse, lather, repeat on the voltage bring up and go through your schematic and check all the things. So uh, no, no big issues there that I remember. And, and then you're kind of at a point where it's like, okay, we're ready to start messing with our embedded control plane, right? So it's time to program the service processor. And that went super smoothly. That was, I mean, like you connect the dongle and like we had a target built for that. Uh, you know, you and Cliff had worked on that and it was, it was very smooth. And, you know, we had our hubris OS running there, just kind of like snap your fingers. It was great. Now I, I, I confess maybe I was doing the Jersey slide at this point because we are now only a, a, a couple of days in, and things are going really smooth. This is great. Like right. we've got, yeah, yeah. it's like we've got we've got the SP up. We've got, and now we're beginning with the service processor up now, and us being able. Like now, from a software perspective, like we're in business. Now we can begin doing all of our checkouts on all of our I squared C buses and everything else. Right, and and you know, as a hardware guy, it was it was awesome to be able to have. Uh, like an embedded target and an OS and a bunch of code that we had already proved out on various dev boards and, you know, maybe just needed a little bit of a different pin configuration or whatever for this board, but, you know, really getting up and being able to run pretty quick. I mean that I spent a lot of time that day after getting the SP program going through and doing I squared C bus scans and PM bus scans and that kind of thing to make sure that all the devices that we you know, are we think we can talk to are all like sitting on the network at the addresses that we intended. Um, that turned out to not be the case generally, and so there was a lot <laughs> right. of rework too. Um, so, you know, there was a, a late, maybe maybe not a late breaking change, but there was a spec change at some point in the project that never made it into the schematics, and so a bunch of the addresses hadn't actually been updated in the bomb, and so we had a bunch of swapping to do on that kind of stuff. Um, but that's all pretty easy rework. I mean, a lot of it is just resistor straps, and you just change them, and off you go. Well, uh, but, so, you know, so this I thought so. was actually an interesting little though, a little design intersection that um, where we deliberately did the rework required to bring the board in in line with the spec rather than changing the spec. Um, yeah, which I thought was, I mean, I, I thought that was an interesting. I mean, I, I guess maybe that wasn't even a decision from your perspective, but um, I guess I. I, I thought it was interesting that that was the that was a clear direction to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I didn't really consider it an option to not. Um, yeah, you know, there was a, <laughs> good for I you. There was a lot of there was a lot of thought put into the addresses that we had chosen, and so and, and then I, I know certainly I think philosophically our team doesn't like um, implementation driving specification. 
uh, and just the, for the convenience of it. And so, you know, flipping things around to match the spec really made sense. Uh, in general, I would say there was one somewhere in the, you know, craziness of getting this stuff swapped around. Uh, we did interchange two of the power supplies addresses. And by the time we figured that out, we already had a number of boards reworked. And so that one was a spec revision because, um, but that, it was a little different than picking a, you know, just a new device out of thin air. It was just two parts that had, you know, swapped their addresses. And then importantly, changing that spec changing the specification in that case and making sure that we're, we don't want to, what we don't want to have is a bunch of different snowflakes that have got different parts of different addresses. Right. Yeah. And so like Eric and I, you know, worked at a different company, uh, you know, for a lot of our career. And like, this was one of the, this is one of the key things as you bring up multiple units is to make sure that um, they, they all have a clear life cycle and a clear indication of what they are and they should all match in general. And so, you know, that's something we, we both feel really strongly about. And so we had, you know, written an RFD on that process before bring up to make sure we, we call them model change notices, but uh, essentially, you, you build an atomic change and then document that as a change, and then the boards get relabeled with those changes, and you move forward. But then anybody can look at a board and say, okay, I know that you know this has had this number of changes to it. Yeah. This is the... It's such a great process. And then the other thing that, that I thought you guys also brought in terms of like bringing engineering culture is just the documentation of everything that was being done as we were doing it was tremendous. Yeah, uh, that that worked out better than I think any of us could have imagined. I mean, we invited Aaron to come and he kind of lived uh, less as like the guy with the soldering iron and more as the guy with the keyboard. And so he sat there and just took uh, copious amounts of documentation and notes and, of, of all of the changes. And I mean, really, this that was more documentation probably than even we had ever experienced anywhere else. Uh, as part of bring up just because we were able to like put a person in the seat to, and that was his job. And, and Aaron did an awesome job. Of that. That's funny. You know, I could have assumed that you guys had always done it that way because I, it just seemed, it felt so natural. It seems like such a good idea. It, it really does. And I, I mean, after having done it, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to more of it, but like that really has paid dividends. Yeah. And so I like, I don't see us not doing that ever again. I think, you know, it's totally worth one more, you know, one more person sitting there just focused on, you know, documenting. And then I think that's helpful too, as a company where uh, like the whole team can't really come down to the lab because not everybody was on site and, and like really not everyone is ever on site, you know, for, for any bring up uh, since we have people kind of spread all across the country um, being able to like clearly document that stuff in a way where the rest of the team can follow along and be, you know, appraised of the changes and understand what's going on and ask questions, I think has been really valuable. It's been really valuable. And I think, you know, one of the, a, a point that, you know, we are not a documentation first culture to be a remote friendly culture, but boy, it, those two things definitely go hand in hand. Um, yep. And really, yes, yeah, so no, you're totally right. Okay. So we, we've got the, we, the, the, the SPs up, we're going through these I squared C buses, making some minor mods, but things are looking pretty good. Things are, yeah, and and we're starting to like approach the period where like things that we have previously integrated, like all the software and everything, we're sort of running out of the like things that we know work, right? And so, you know, at a certain point, you and Cliff, you know, hop on a plane to head out uh, because, and we've we've been trying to get the um, the FPGA, you know, that's sitting there. 
uh, involved. So like I'm responsible for some of that and like getting the SP to program that. And, you know, so I think uh, Cliff was hacking that, that driver on the plane as he flew out to Minnesota for us. Um, but, uh, and, you know, we, we had found a couple more schematic problems there where, you know, we had multiple things sharing a spy bus. And so there were some bus contention. So we had to have some parts ripped off. And so managing that with our, our uh, manufacturing partner. Yeah, and I think that speaking from my perspective, and I think Cliff's too, I mean, I, indeed, the entire company, like you really just don't want the code that you're delivering to be in the hot seat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, right. it's like, like <laughs> it's like, please, God, don't let it be me that we're blocked on. So we're just trying to like, how can I, I just need to stay like a block ahead of the parade here. And uh, we were doing that a bunch. Um yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of jokes about the eye of Sauron and, you know, who it was pointing at at any one point <laughs> That's in time, right. right? I know. I know. <laughs> I, and I think it's to a certain degree, like, on it, like, we are such a team-oriented team that nobody wants to let the team down. So it's like the eye of Sauron ends up being, like, much worse, I feel. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we had a few other things to do, and then, you know, you guys had landed – and we made it there and we're trying, you know, Cliff had done a lot of awesome work to get the FPGA loaded. So, you know, we've got FPGA loading, we got, you know, spy traffic kind of running back and forth between them. We can communicate some, you know, new drivers uh, and that kind of thing, you know, all hacked out. And, um, and, you know, then, then it's like, okay, we're ready to like start exercising the sequencer. And so that's, you know, this is all stuff that we have now really not been able to test up until this point, right? We haven't had the hardware. Um, we don't have things that handshake like the sequence does. It, so you should describe um, what the sequencer is. Like, what what, what is so sequencing? It, Why is this a problem? So uh, generally, AMD has a, a fairly complicated power on sequence. You know, so there, there are, uh, I don't know, somewhere around 12 or 13 rails that go into the uh, AMD chip. And they kind of all want to be brought up in a certain order. And then, you know, as you look at, like, take a step back, uh, the DIMMs have, you know, three or four rails coming into them, and they want to be powered on and off in a certain order. And you want that stuff to be sort of deterministic. And so, uh, you know, a decision that was made a while back was to push a lot of that into the FPGA there that sits there. We call it the sequencer. And so essentially the SP, you know, says start sequencing. And then the sequence, the FPGA logic runs off and turns a bunch of things on. And there are some checkpoints with the software at various, you know, spots along that way to make sure that things are working. And you bring up all of the rails for the DIMMs and the AMD processor. And where does the sequencer get its bitstream from? So the sequencer, uh, well, you know, at the very beginning, <laughs> we put it in, an, in a flash. And then we realized the flash and the um, SP and the sequencer were all contending on the same bus. And so Cliff did some cool work and we pushed that into the SP's flash image and we just ripped the flash parts off the board. So we had our uh, manufacturing partner run around and pop off a couple of the BGA flash parts. And we did one there on the bench with a hot air gun, which um, this board, you know, it's an 18 layer board and uh, every other layer is ground. And so getting this thing warm enough to pull stuff off easily when you're trying to pull like a BGA off is a real pain. Yeah. So tell me about that board heater because the board heater, I, I unfortunately I didn't get a chance to watch that thing run, but everyone was just marveling at the board heater. Yeah. So our manufacturing partner had a little pace, you know, maybe kilowatt heater or kilowatt and a half maybe. And uh, you put that underneath and you put the board in a rack on top 
and you you let that guy run and so he heats up the bottom of the board and you know what you're you're trying to get the thermal mass of the board to get up close to reflow temperature so that then when you hit it with a hot air gun um you're you just kind of like slowly crest across the you know the temperature that makes the solder turn go from solid to liquid yeah for, and for like non-hardware people imagine a toaster oven with a convection feature and you literally flip it on its back open the door and then put a board on top of it that's basically what a, the board preheater yeah, it's, is so it's like a little space heater almost yeah, it's convection oven so, with a hole in it and by and, oh. and reflow temperature this is the temperature of the solder at which point the solder is effectively liquid right yeah so it's somewhere up in the like 250c range uh, you know, it kind of depends on on what kind of solder you're using, but for lead-free stuff, up around 250C. Um, and so, but you want to kind of heat the board up to like, you know, 150 maybe. You don't want to melt all your plastic, but uh, you want to make it so that your hot air gun just has to do a little bit of a push to get across and, and turn everything liquid. And so we did one of those uh, there on the bench with, you know, and that was, you know, as much fun as that was, we didn't want to do the other 12 like that. <laughs> uh, so, so we are the other 11. So we, sh we sent the other 11 back to, uh, you know, we had, you know, our, our manufacturing partner who's, who we were at, um, they could run them through their, their big BGA rework station and pull all those off pretty easy. So we had them go do that for us. And I think this is a, this is a really neat little change of the bitstream being in the SP image itself, because it means the attestation of the SP image automatically attests this bitstream that we're going to dynamically load onto the FPGA. Right. Yeah. It, you also avoid a whole class of errors where like one thing got updated and not the other, and you have to figure that out. Um, you also avoid then, you manufacturing know, issues with the flash part goes obsolete and you have to qualify another one. Right. And there's limited parts that work and... Yeah, and um, I mean, finding Flash has not been a problem this year, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No supply chain issues. So, I mean, the cool thing is we freed up that part, so we have a bunch more Flash parts. We use that part in a couple other places on the board, so we have a bunch more uh, inventory than we maybe intended to have. Well, I thought um, we were, we were going to just resell those parts in lieu of doing our next raise. I assume we were just going right, to. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some some uh, some Flash gray market <laughs> activity. Right. Now, right. Yeah, now, as far as you know. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah and i mean since then cliff has done some cool work to you know uh to compress the bitstream even nicer on that thing and then decompress it on the fly so it takes even less flash uh than it did while we were there in minnesota um two months ago um can we stop for a moment just from a software perspective to praise include bytes this is what uh Adam, the include byte. Have you used include bytes or includes yeah. include stir the macro? Adam? I've used include stir, uh, but I haven't used include bytes. So include bytes is just the logical equivalent. So those of you, I mean, this is like a religious experience. I feel with Rust to discover include bytes and include stir. Take a file off the file system and drop it in effectively into your file as a string or as bytes, which is great for an FPGA bit string, right? So pretty neat. Yeah, very cool. So I, I am curious, how are you guys planning to attest the FPGA image before doing this? Well, so we will, the in terms of like, how do we attest that the blue spec that we are generating is, is that the, that bitstream has not been tampered with? Or what do you mean? Right. So, I mean, I can see how you can attest to the software image that then loads the SP, which then loads the FPGA. How are you planning to do that? before you made it load in that sequence or were you just not attesting the fpga 
So does I mean we're not currently attesting the FPGA for development, but and the the plan always I think was to do this, uh, but we had the flash part on there kind of as a fallback in case you know we didn't have the software there in time or we didn't want to deal with that right now. Okay, so th this this is just bring up magic. Yeah, this is just bring up magic. Okay, and, I mean it's it's always cooler when you get what you hope your product solution is as kind of the earliest thing too. But, you know, when you're like throwing hardware uh, down in the schematic, you're just never sure where you're going to land. And, and, and like I said, like that driver was, you know, essentially written on the plane as cliff flew out. <laughs> and so, you know, it worked pretty well for plane code. Right? For play, uh, cliff writes great plane code. I gotta say, I've been into, right. I mean, certainly much better than my own aircraft code. Like the, uh, this plane code's pretty great. All right. So we now have the sequencer, um, so now we're going through, cause I'm trying to think of the things we were trying to do before we powered on SP three, which is the, well, so, the actual AMD socket. Right. So as we went through sequencing, you know, we found a, a few different problems. I mean, sometimes the, you know, net names, uh, maybe were called out active low and the parts were actually active high. And so like the FPGA bitstream had to be kind of flipped around a little bit. So we did, you know, kind of a bunch of that. Um, and, and then, like as we're going through this, we get to the level translator issue. Do you remember that? Are we going to talk about the blown inductor first? I feel like that we. I feel like the thing that we oh, did. That yeah, we, that's we, true. I got to think we talk about zombie board. Eric, you going to talk about zombie that's... board and the blown inductor? So yeah, somewhere along the way, as after we got the embedded stuff up and running, uh, we sort of had enough of the board risk retired where we were uh, willing to like risk more boards. And so, you know, we started bringing on a second and third board, right? And so once we had a second and third board, we could pass the second one of the boards off to Eric, who does a lot of our power stuff. And so he started looking at, uh, you know, with the AMD has a, a fake processor load called DSCLE. And so he started looking at some of that and some of the other power supply design. So maybe he wants to talk a little bit about how zombie board was created. Well, hold on, Nathaniel, just to see if I understood that correctly. So... Early on, you only have a limited number of bullets here, so we're, we conserve them and move very slowly, it right. sounds like. But then when we gain a little bit of confidence, then we're able to parallelize. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, if you have a bent socket, you don't want to stick a bunch of pins in there. And then every, you know, like every, <laughs> you know, back in the days when, when processors actually had pins, you know, if you had a damaged socket, you wouldn't want to run all your processors through there because you could accidentally damage all of them. And so, you know, until we got to a certain point, we really were single threaded on a single piece of hardware uh, doing all of the rework on that guy to make him happy and to prove that, like, you know, we didn't have some major oops that was, you know, going to melt parts or ruin other things. And so by the time we got to, like, the SP up and running, it's kind of like, okay, we have enough stuff here. We have the power supplies up. Everything's being controlled. You know, the, um, we have varying amounts of rework on, you know, certain things, but we kind of understand all of that. So let's go execute that rework on a board two and a board three, which we're kind of coming off the line hot from our manufacturing partner <laughs> too. Uh, nice. so they had they had done um, flying probe, so, which requires some development once you have hardware. And so we got our first unit, but without having gone through flying probe. Oh, and Nathaniel, just, and so, just a little plug yeah. for Flying Probe. Flying Probe is so cool for those who... It is cool. Yeah, who, so maybe just a little explanation of Flying Probe. Yeah, so it's a, it's an automated um, DMM, basically. 
and uh, DMM the, digital it, multimeter. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So uh, it it has robotic arms uh, on the top and bottom. Sorry. I couldn't hear what you said. Sorry. Oh, that's what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Siri. Thanks, Siri. Um, it has robotic arms that move, you know, on on the top and the bottom, and it has uh, spring pins. And so it, it moves down and touches electrical contacts on your board or moves up from the bottom and you can test continuity. So they take your net list in, which is, kind of, you know, like all of the electrical nodes on your schematic and they figure out what they can hit with those probes. And then they program the machine up to go through and it uses your CAD and it goes through and checks continuity, you know, in those areas. And it can do some limited like resistor measurements and capacitor measurements and that kind of thing. And videos of this are mesmerizing. So definitely go watch videos of this. Yeah. And it has, you know, they have a limited number of probes. So it's not like a bed of nails where everything gets tested concurrently. Um, and so it just moves around and it, yeah, they're, they're fun. There are a lot of good YouTube videos about that. Okay. So you've got these um, boards that come off hot. Sorry. Yeah. No, Nathaniel, sorry. Just uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention is we, that we, we skipped ahead of, but to the uninitiated, one of the things that was fascinating for me was in that first stage of bring up, I think it was like a FLIR camera app that Arian had oh, yeah. that we were yeah. using to detect when parts were starting to warm up, which indicated life. Right. And, uh, or death. Or death. <laughs> um and that was uh, again back to the the those in the uh, in the bleachers with popcorn. That was pretty fascinating to watch uh, the test and being able to see parts kind of come up live on that thermal camera. Yeah, especially when you. I mean, that's that's a common trick. You know, as you bring parts up, um, you know, put a thermal camera on there. Uh, you know, maybe some people have seen resistors get really hot in certain power circuits. Uh, not on this board, but it, you know, in other boards. And uh, it can teach you a lot about what you messed up uh, in your design for essentially free. And so, yeah, I have a Seek Thermal that connects to my camera and Arian had uh, FLIR. And so, you know, putting those on and you could watch, especially when you start bringing uh, the power stages on, which as we get to Zombie Board, uh, we'll, we'll certainly talk about that. Because um, Zombie Board definitely did get some thermal shots dropped into the chat channel. Sure. <laughs> it definitely did. So, Eric, with that, with that entree, do you want to talk about Zombie Board? Yeah, so before before we put the, the AMD load simulator, the SDLE in there, uh, we wanted to get I wanted to get these processor power supplies up and running even without that, just in case it sent 12 volts at them, because I don't want to blow up our one load pod, because they're hard to get. And so I hardwired the feedback uh, back to the controllers and turned things on, and it, it seemed to be kind of working. But there was a there was a bug in the schematic where there was a, a recommendation that wasn't followed on one of the current sense signals going to the power stages. And to, to give you an idea, like the, the core of this power supply when you're doing this testing can pull north of 250 amps at, you know, a volt or so uh, during testing. I mean, they don't do that in normal life usually unless it's a, a surge, but that's what they, that's what we test to. And so this particular error caused the current feedback from these power stages to be bad, and that caused the controller to kind of lose its mind. And <laughs> this is an eight-phase power supply, so there's eight <laughs> of these stages, the eight of these switching supplies, each of which can theoretically put out 90 amps. Uh, you never use them that high, but <laughs> it caused one of them to uh, go bonkers, and it uh, sent 12 volts right at the output. 
And one of the things that you do on these low voltage power supplies is you never really put high voltage rated parts on there. So the first big capacitor that it hits after it goes through this power stage is a four volt rated uh, aluminum polymer cap. And at 12 volts, that thing becomes a lovely resistor. And it uh, <laughs> it got a little toasty. <clears throat> I found out by accidentally touching it after the thing started going crazy. I'm like, what the hell? And I touch it. Ah, what the hell? So we bring the thermal, turn it off, bring the thermal camera over, turn it back on, and there's this glowing red death right at the bottom. It's like, oh, that that's that's not good. So I I do find that's usually the sign to bring the thermal camera out is when somebody burns themselves on something. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's God's own thermal camera. Is, Nathaniel's comment on a resistor is there was another board that we had designed that had a random resistor on a FPGA that was just smoking hot and barely not desoldering itself. We found that using a thermal camera, a little tiny 0402 thing that was like 150C. But yeah, so zombie board uh, basically committed suicide at that point. Uh, but luckily our rework person was awesome and she was able to, to pull that power stage off, put another one on. And... I tried firing it back up, but the, the 12 volts had damaged all the caps. I was hoping it hadn't, but I had to rip off all those caps and replace them. And once that happened and we um, we got that one problem with the current sense fixed, then it, uh, yeah, well, it fired up much, much nicer after that. Yeah, and I, I, I just want to make clear, because Adam, I'm, I, the, the Nathaniel and, uh, and and Eric both mentioned this, but they may have gone past it quickly. The the This SDLE that we're using is this really important piece of equipment that AMD makes that is a load generator. So yeah. go ahead, Eric. Yeah, yeah. Describe SDLE, because SDLE is really pretty cool. Yeah, so instead of, you know, retail high-end uh, Milan processor being like five grand or whatever, instead of just throwing a Milan in there and, you know, praying to <laughs> praying to whatever God you want to, that it doesn't immolate uh, into a ball of fire, you put this fancy load pot on there. And basically what it is is a bunch of electronic resistors. Uh, we, you know, they use MOSFETs. And it abuses your power supplies in a controlled manner and watches how they respond. And there are limits to what it can what it will allow. So like it'll do a load step from let's say 50 amps to 200 amps and the voltage that it does that to can't change by more than, you know, a couple of percent of its voltage. So if you have like a, a one volt rail and you do a 150 amp load step, it can't change by more than let's say 10 millivolts or 20 millivolts. And that's like one or 2%. And does this thing give you some readout or diagnostic or, or, or some, report card of how you did yes. yeah it's pretty slick like they built it in in map in uh not matlab it's a, a simulink no God damn it. what is it lab view uh, lab view thank lab you view. so they built it in lab view and it's you know executable and it connects to this thing and it's just pretty fancy but it spits out basically a giant csv and they have some X, excel spreadsheets with macros in them that digest that and spit out some nice graphs that show you like your minimum maximum voltages the you know, voltage versus frequency and this this load step it does, it doesn't just do it once, it does it repeatedly for like a second at a time and it does it anywhere from like a kilohertz up to like 300 kilohertz. And so it'll just slam this thing and you can actually, if you're in a quiet room, you can hear it going through the different frequencies in their audio range because the, the magnetics uh, start humming. 
And that sounds really cool. It is really cool. And so, and also, this thing is speaking. So, AMD has a protocol between the the the, the actual CPU and and the controller. And so, this thing called SVI two. So, this thing is speaking over that protocol and verifying um, that it's getting the right answer back. So, which is really really neat because it allows you to actually completely check this out before actually loading up a real CPU on there. Yeah, so they're, it's completely invaluable. Intel has the same thing for their stuff, and there are commercial companies that make independent ones that are like Load Slammer, and Intel has their own version of Load Slammers, and it's kind of standard fare for high high power, high end stuff where you can't afford to use chips to test it. It's also used a lot with like ASIC bring up because you know you only have a few Rev you know Rev Zero ASICs, so you want to make sure your power supplies are very well behaved before you put that. You know, very first silicon into a board. This sounds a little bit, Brian, like what we talked about last week with the switch and the uh, and the Tofino two um, like physical sample part for testing yep. kind of physical characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, Eric, one of the, the, the I mean, Eric actually mentioned load slammer. We we have for Tofino two. We one of the first things we did is got a load slammer for that part. So we're going to be able to do the same thing when we do the sidecar bring up. Cool. Yeah, that that thing makes AMD's power requirements look trivial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, uh, so we've got actually the point we didn't think it was zombie board. We thought it was dead board. And then when it came back, we realized that it was it was it going was to alive be again. It was alive yeah. again. Yep. It couldn't die. Yeah. We. That was like we're sitting at dinner that night. So this was a Saturday, I believe, and we're sitting there at dinner. And so I texted our manufacturing partner and just asked, you know what are the chances that we could have a rework person come in on Sunday because we're going to be back doing this. And this is one of the, the two or three boards that we have access to at this point. And so they, they managed to get uh, their high end rework person back in there on a Sunday morning and, uh, and did the work for us. So, and then we were able to get this board back in our hands and it, it still functioned, albeit with some quirks, which are fine. Yeah, we so. we super glued the socket cover back onto that one, so nobody accidentally puts a processor in it. But the the nice thing is one. So once we got that one problem figured out, like the two biggest power supplies, the core power supply for the AMD and the SOC, which is like the hidden processor power supply, both those passed the SDLE testing with flying colors. Both those are just fan freaking tastic. It was great. And we may come back to those later. And those, yeah, the. the other other rails had some quirks and whatever, but the, at least the two big ones, power-wise, yeah. they worked fa- fabulously. All right, so uh, we're uh, so all right, we are now getting ready. We've got zombie board, and it's now. Um, I think we are now getting ready to to to, to actually attempt our first SP three power on. I think at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. So we, this is probably now Thursday of the second week, right? And um, we're, we've got a, a processor loaded in there and we're, we're going to try to power this thing up. Um, in fact, I, did we have, did we actually put a processor in there? We must have. I'm yeah, I think we put them all on them. Or a, a Rome. Or Rome. We had a Rome processor in there. Okay. And then, because um, was, was the level shifting issue on when we first attempted the? We should describe the level shifting issue because that was that, that well, way another so major hiccup. I, 
yeah, I'm trying to remember if SDLE was still connected or not. But regardless, um, we had um, we had we so there's a level shifter. There, well, we have a lot of level shifters. There's an I squared C level shifter on there, and um, and the I mean to I guess give give the answer before the the walk up. Uh, that that guy was misbehaving, um, but we didn't know that at the time. And so what we saw as we're going through some of this stuff is we're seeing um, like I squared C transfers not work and a bunch of really strange things. And so we, we've got our Saliers connected to the bus and we're looking at, you know, this is like the eye of Sauron then points back at Brian because uh, his <laughs> I squared C thing is, or it's his PM bus thing is pulling bus reset, like on loop. And, you know, we're like, what in the world, you know? And so, you know, like, anyway, the, we're all looking around. The um, eye of Sauron is going googly eyed at this point. Yeah, the eye of Sauron exactly. it just seems I mean, to be going had, everywhere. Cause we, I mean, we thought, like we'd load a different FPGA and we get different behavior, even though the FPGA doesn't even sit on that I squared C bus. And so we're building FPGAs with like all the pins tri-stated and all the pins high and all the pins low, trying to figure out what is causing this. And the FPGA is, is somehow related to this problem. And so, at, you know, as we got through it, we started, uh, you know, binary searching basically on the FPGA pins, you know, turning them all high and all low. And Nathaniel, I think there's also a very important detail that led us down the wrong path on this. This appeared to only be happening on one of the boards. Right. Which it turns out was a total accident. Like, as it turns out, both boards – we were basically in undefined behavior effectively. And maybe you want to define a little bit what a, what a level shifter is and why they're so problematic. Well, so, so level shifters, especially on a bi-directional bus like I squared C are especially tricky, right? So a, a level, a level shifter in general just takes one voltage from low to high or high to low, depending on what you're trying to do. The, the problem is when, when you have a bi-directional bus like an I squared C bus, um, it has, the circuit has to be able to do high to low and low to high and figure out which direction it needs to do. And kind of like, like these things end up all being kind of magic. And, and really, they're not. I mean, you know, you can, you can go in and figure out how these parts work. Um, but it turns out that the part that we had chosen here did not have defined behavior on both sides of it when one side was powered down. And so one board worked a certain way and the other board worked a different way when they were both in the same state where one of the two sides was powered down. And to compound matters, of course, when we put our Salier on, we're sitting on one side of the bus, and that's the side that is powered and things are working. And the SP is sitting on the other side of the bus, which is the side that wasn't, or maybe maybe vice versa. Um, but like what we were looking at on the analyzer was not actually what our processor was seeing because this uh, level translator was, you know, kind of acting like. A, um, a, a mirror, basically, and you couldn't actually see what was going on behind the mirror. Uh, I feel the Eye of Sauron was burning a hole in my brain at that particular <laughs> moment because that definitely looked like this is a, like, the SP is doing something, is misbehaving with respect to I squared C, is what that looked R like. Right. So and in some regards... And this was also where this was also where we were digging through data sheets trying to understand how does this level shifter actually work? Like, what are we missing detail-wise? And the level shifter is offered by two manufacturers. They they make the same device, but you know they offer compatible parts. And one of the data sheets tells you absolutely nothing about how it works. 
The other one tells you just enough that implies that you understand how it works. But until you notice that they actually have links to YouTube videos illustrating how it operates, that's the only place that they actually describe yeah. how the part works. Well, and, and we, I mean, it turns out that with these same level shifters, we, we had a different level shifter problem once we got back home as well. And, but like it all, it all hinges around these things don't really have defined behavior when they're powered off the one the ones we and picked so, there are devices yeah the ones we picked there are ones that do yes but you know with hashtag which, supply which chain maybe, issues may, makes it more of a pain to find nice yeah. supply nice they, uh, level they may have been the ones that were available <laughs> they may so. have been. uh but it was i mean it it was an interesting object lesson in a lot of different ways i mean one i i feel like uh you know these kinds of i squared c level shifters Brian, oh, I think we, we just lost Brian. you. Yep, we did. The level shifters got him. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> Powered off. Yeah, I mean, th those things, they're, for things that should be, I mean, seemingly are very simple in your circuit, um, they end up being a very complicated uh, in practice, and you, you really do have to go through and, um, I mean, you know, make sure that you understand how these things work. Well, and it also depends. And, and, and as Rick said, like some of the data sheets are not helpful. Like you, re you read the every page of the data sheet, and you have no idea how the thing actually works. So, and, and we picked this particular component because we could source it, or because it was compatible with different things. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. And, and I mean, you like every one of the sliders has some quirk, and so you're just like we were using this in other places and, you know, it's specs are good enough for the data rates we're looking at and, and we could source it. And so that's how we kind of ended up with these. And if you pick a different family, then you just get a different set of issues. Um, gotcha. So you just fire fire up those YouTube videos and, and learn that's about right. the spec. Yeah. Well, gotcha. so, I mean, yeah. I mean, shout out to TI. Meant... TI has yeah, a, a much TI... better data sheet on these parts. Yeah. I mean, so, of course great, it's TI. But... But uh, this is well, the they, most I mean, TI thing I've ever heard. Right. Well, their data sheets are much better than uh, YouTube videos. Uh, Nexperius. Nexperius. Yeah, Nexperius. So, yes, terrible. but they're also notorious for putting that one footnote that you really cared about, like yeah. on page three hundred and sixty-four behind as, the door marked "Beware footnote. of Jaguar." Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. But and, and actually, the note they, they, is there. This issue so. was clear was clear in retrospect, but at the yes. moment, and in some regards, like the scariest moment for me was when you, Cliff, Eric, and RFK all had a look of total what the fuck is going on, <laughs> like right. fear, like actual fear in all four of your eyes. And I'm like, okay, I am terrified. If these four are scared, I'm wetting my pants because uh, I, just, you know, you've got engineers that have got, are pretty fearless engineers with different perspectives on things. And when everybody has no fucking idea. Well, and yeah, because we, we discovered it while playing with the FPGA, but the FPGA doesn't sit on the bus. That was the part I think that like, so like you can, we could pretty conclusively prove it was the F, like the FPGA was doing something but how that interacted with us, and I mean, it turns out the FPGA was controlling the power to the thing, right? And so, you know, once you figure that out, it, it becomes a lot more obvious. And, uh, but yeah, up until that point, we're like, the FPGA is not even sitting on that bus. How can it be you know, yeah. messing up that, that I squared C bus? 
I, I mean, it literally is like I'm turning on and off the lights in Houston and Atlanta yes. is bursting into flames. And I do not exactly. understand how these things could possibly be related. Um, right. But so we get we get through that, um, which is that was a good moment. Um, and now it feels like let's go power this thing on. Right. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> then what? Um, uh, well, let's see. I'm trying to remember. We we did it the next morning. What happened? It was, because yeah, that, that, that was late. So so we broke up late that night. We're going to come back the next morning. Cliff and I have got flights out the, the day after. We're going to power on SP3. It's all going to work. It's going to be amazing. And it does not work. We come back out and uh, we we roll SP, we, we actually populate the SP3 socket. Because uh, I think Friday morning, I want to say Friday morning was the first time we tried to do that once we had that issue resolved. But maybe that's, I've got the timing. Yeah, right. I think like we were getting ready to head out. Yes. Like, I, I, I yeah. Packing up the mobile lab, back into the minivan. Right. <laughs> and and we and it, it, it and and it just like nothing really happened, right? Nothing really happened. And so the, the so the and what are we looking for? Is kind of the first thing of the first sign of life out of the CPU. Um, if anyone, you want oh, to describe yeah, that? Yeah. So, yeah, we're looking for spy wiggles, right? So the, I mean the the way these processors boot, you you do some handshaking. And then kind of like they they boot out of uh, like an on-chip ROM basically and execute some code, their PSP does. And then, uh, you know, in fairly short order, they're going to go out the spy interface the way we have this strapped and attempt to fetch code. And um, and so we, d- we had wires tacked onto that spy interface and like nothing is going on. Nothing's dumping out the UR and like we're and we're running out of time, really there in minnesota running out of time and all right can't get it working uh you and eric are going to take the boards back to to wisconsin um we also decide to send you with all of the milans and a bunch of dram i i we we just the the cargo of the minivan was worth much much more than the minivan oh oh yeah because this is a rental town and country (laughs) right right Right, and uh, and then you've also got the SDLEs. The SDLE being the the, the, irreplaceable. the load irreplaceable. Right, and uh, we so you had instructions for us. I did. Right, if carjacked, give them the DRAM and the Milan CPUs. Like, Do you, not part with the SDLE. You can hack these. You can hack these easy on eBay. They're unlocked. Like you'll no problem unloading them. <laughs> Just please, right. for the love of God, don't touch these four boxes. They are worth nothing to you. You can't sell them, and they are completely they're they're worth everything please they're they're priceless right we only have one sdla uh fortunately no carjacking no problems (laughs) no pirates no pirates no piracy right safe safe at at home safe at home all the equipment but so so, yeah no No, yeah i was just gonna say so then then we start the like okay now 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 what right like and so, you know, we have, we have a board. And so it's like, well, we must have done something wrong sequencing. And so let's go, let's go read AMD's documents. And, you know, so we get uh, a board set up here on my bench and I rework a bunch of wires onto it. And I mean, Eric, Eric and I spent a couple of weeks in my home lab here, you know, doing various testing. I mean, like lots and lots of testing, you know, check power supplies. Uh, we wire out all the sequencing stuff. We, you know, the the first time we try it, we, you know, get every, like the whole team on a call late at night one night and watch nothing happen. <laughs> nothing uh, happened. Essentially. <laughs> um, 
And then, I don't, then, at, at this point, like Steve has been wounded so many times that he's just right. like, all right. <laughs> but Steve is so enthusiastically enjoying it. It's like, no, 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 nothing's happening. Right. right. And so um, then, then I feel like, you know, another few days go by and we find some more things and we fix some more things. And, you know, it's like, then, then we do another call and a bunch of people, you know, from the team join, we get on there and we show it. And this time, not, it's not nothing that happens, but like, we're playing with power navigator, which is uh, the software that's, that's driving, um, <laughs> that's driving the power controllers. And so I've got that. That's like a sideband in addition to our SP control. Sitting and, on the same and like, bus the SP is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so it's got a dongle like USB dongle. It's mastering I squared C, but it's polling and doing a lot of traffic. And, you know, as we're talking through it, I think uh, the suggestion comes out to do an I squared C bus scan. God, who made that suggestion? I, 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 that, is, <laughs> that is negligent. Right. I mean, that is obviously the wrong thing to do. I mean, boy, you know, blameless postmortem, but mm, right. I need some names. Right. Okay. That so, was yeah. So, so Brian suggests, <laughs> Brian suggests we do an I squared C scan. And, and, and so we do. And like the instant I execute that command, like, Everything in Power Navigator goes from green to red, and errors just fly up. And you know, it's like Power uh, Navigator turns out gets really, really unhappy so, if it can't scan things. It did yeah. not. It was very, and, very upset. And probably like there was probably some bus resetting going on because like the SP, <laughs> you know, thought it should be well, the master. And the SP is accessing the... every single address on the I squared Z bus, and so that may or may not have caused. <laughs> things that are undefined in power navigator land yeah. go bonkers it was so bad it, it, yeah it was it was not great and so like at this point we're like oh we probably killed the processor you know lot lots of things oh and so and at this point the i think one of the rails set was reporting at, at like 80 amps on the right SOC it, shouldn't, rail. it shouldn't yeah oh Ever. this is uh, one of the dram controllers oh it's the D, yeah well the, yeah, yeah man. that one yeah, it's so, not. It's not eighty. It doesn't take it. it doesn't try EDMs. Oh yeah, the, the, the memory controller with no dims on that side. Yep. That's the, <laughs> yeah. I, I think you know, and I think Keith's telling us like what the data sheet spec is, and it's like spec to pull like twenty amps or something, and you know we're seeing eighty four, you know, in the diagnostics, and it's like, oh, this is really not great. This is bad. This is bad. So, I, so just like a quick aside though, because this is actually an interesting artifact of the of the kind of the new way of working with everyone remote. We recorded every one of these kind of like these rolling out of the to the pad of SP3. We recorded, and it was actually really helpful to go back and replay, just rewatch what we did, and be able to see exactly what we did when. Yeah, yeah, and you can get time correlation there too, right? So it's like you can see when I hit enter, and you know, like within the next like quarter second, everything went bad, right? It was bad. And, yeah, and we you could see you could rewatch that moment again and again. Hey, try <laughs> yeah, this. I, hey, try this. I I am happy to report that that processor is actually fine. So which is know, amazing. Out. Yeah, yeah we, we thought we, we we thought we had killed the processor. Yeah, and we were convinced. And, I mean, and certainly that thing had experienced some abuse. I mean, you know, that's the first one, and so like some of the sequencing wasn't perfect, and you know, mistakes were made all along the way, but that, that guy does seem fine. So, so, so what did you guys actually do when, like, what did you guys actually do when you scanned it? Was that like set all voltage rails to minimum or turn them off or? No, no, no. No, no, we were, when we were scanning it, 
the and honestly, like it's actually still a little bit unclear why. What is more likely, honestly, is that we were initiating bus transactions at the same time the Power Navigator was initiating bus transactions, and it was just getting back nonsense because it yeah. was see it was seeing our traffic and wasn't handling it very well. I mean, Escort C is definitely not a multi-master bus, right? So it is that they are. Uh, well, not it at would, the same time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not at the same time. Exactly. Well, and Power so, Navigator, when it when it doesn't get like responses, it starts reinitiating the power supplies, and it'll start reloading their entire config over I squared, and trying to restart them again because it it's lost synchronization. I think it calls it, and so at that point you're like trying to burst traffic across I squared C while this the SP is trying to scan things, and the God knows what's happening on the power controllers, but the the power navigator likes reinitializing everything because it assumes it's on a dev board or something, and it can as, do that as, as all good dev board software does. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, exactly. And, and of course, this is running you know some Windows ninety five looking. Yeah, take ten minutes to figure out how to talk to something on I squared. Yes, that's that's the Renaissance but, one. Yeah, but yeah. to, to yeah. its credit. It has some really nice features that we are trying to shamelessly steal. <laughs> yeah, I would it, it try to emulate. In in this in the grand scheme of like vendor software, it's pretty good. Uh, that one's that one's actually pretty nice. Yeah, it looks it decent is. and it it sort of works. I mean, there's certainly some other vendor software we have experienced that um, I, less kind. Yeah, I don't know what that. it is. Yeah, it every, doesn't work. Or... Every vendor's PLL yeah. software, like to interface to their PLLs, is just a complete shit show. Oh, come on. ADI is not that bad. ADI, TI, they're all awful. Like, even if you have good, like, TI's power interface stuff, their fusion interface is not too bad at all, but, like, their PLL stuff is just terrible. Well, and we are trying to load the EEPROM in the clock generator, and we are hitting, like, what, and it's like, it's like unrecognized EEPROM type other. And I'm like, okay, obviously this is a misconfiguration. And the, and you guys were all like, no, the software is this bad. I'm like, it can't right. be this bad. This is like, this doesn't oh, yes, work at all. This bad. Yeah, like, the, you haven't been uh, jaded I mean, enough. No, <laughs> it was like a total like country mouse moment. We're like, no, cancel you idiot. It is this bad. Like, stop overthinking I mean, it. I mean, to be fair, in this specific instance, like, there is a button in that software that does not work. Oh, yeah. And yes, and, but like, like we, you know, we're looking at it and like, after you play with it a little bit and don't see any bus wiggles or anything, it's like, oh, well, that button just doesn't work. And I guess we're like, that, that all of us hardware guys are too Stockholm to like, like be <laughs> yeah, that like, mad I about mean, it. Oh, it's like, on, we're used to... Only one. Right. <laughs> no, that is, that is it. That is, you're right. But that's basically it. I'm like, where's the indignation? It's like, we're just exhausted, man. Can we just right. like, like you know, I, I fully expect there to be like four to five whole tabs of features that are not implemented. Yeah. Right? And, I th- and I think this actually just does drive to our whole zeitgeist, which is about getting fully documented parts and then being able to program these things without proprietary tools and right. doing that. And, and to, to their credit, the vendors are not unsupportive of this approach. And I, I actually, one of the things I'd like about power navigator is Broadly, it is using PM bus to communicate, and we can do the things that Eric likes about that tool. We can emulate in humility and and hubris, which is pretty neat. And, and we are on a lot of it, right? Yeah. So, PM bus has always just terrified me. In so far as you are letting software control the voltages that can explode your CPU. Um, yep. So, there, <laughs> and, and, interesting. Yep. There, there are ways of 
So one of the the things on like the 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 core supplies, let's say, on these processors, is you can do voltage margining where you can tweak over PM bus, you can tweak the voltage up and down. But to your point, you can tweak the voltage up to two volts and just completely just melt down your processor. Uh, yeah. But you can and... also configure it with a way that won't allow that, so you can't actually yeah, touch it over PM right. bus. And so one of the one of the things we're going to maybe eventually get to is being able to load these things over I squared with a you know an testable image, such that it won't let you even if you got you know got on that thing with fly wires and a bus pirate or something, you can't over voltage the thing or under voltage it. Now if you get onto the AVS bus and start mucking with that or the you know the the, the, the processor bus that tells it what to do, well then yeah all bets are off, but. At least from the PM bus side, that's there are ways of preventing that at least. But yeah, you're right. It's it's scary as hell, especially because like the the Renaissance parts are slick enough and fancy enough that you can tweak their control loop while they're running, and so you can do some very interesting things if you don't do that right. <laughs> oh, that's not terrifying at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, make you turn them off first. The Renaissance ones are like, oh yeah, no problem. I can run that. I can do that as a running change. Yeah. Hold it here. Hold my beer while I do that. Yeah. I, I will say though, like. I think with the like our team's approach to software hardware co-design, I feel like there's a healthy um, concern on in in everybody who's interacting with this stuff uh, to make sure that like we don't do dumb things like that. And so that's I mean you know I'm sure we'll make some mistakes, but like there there seems to be like a, a lot of care and thought put into these things to make sure that they come out right. And so that that's been very nice, I think. And the team is all very, um, you know, aware of like the fact that like there's something physical also going on. It's not just bits running around in a processor. Yeah, definitely. And, and it, for those that are curious, we open sourced Hubris um, and Humility last week, actually. So you can actually go look at the software that we're talking about and the, the software that does like PM bus reporting and so on. Um, and definitely if you find bugs, let us know. <laughs> um, right. But uh, because it is, yeah, it has consequences. Like if you get it wrong, you can break the thing. Um, but if you get it right, right, you have a lot of built-in diagnostics and that's right parametrics that you can get out of it, which is amazing. It, it's really cool. And so, all right, so we are now. I feel we enter the prolonged period of now we're in the grass period of living despair. At, Eric living at my house. Yeah. Eric <laughs> living at your house. Valley of despair. Matt, you asking us on the Twitter space, how's bring-up going? And I'm like, okay, end of Twitter space. See you next week, everybody. Uh, the, uh, and, and, and here we thought Brian was just running away from me the whole time. No, right. exactly. No, it's like, please don't ask, go bring up. Um, and, you know, because we are, and we're, we are double, triple, quadruple checking everything. We're going through. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's this moment where, because understandably, and AMD is being super helpful through all of this. AMD is trying to help us brainstorm it. The only real symptom we have of this thing is it resets after 1.25 seconds. Infinite reset That's it. loop. Infinite right. reset loop. Yeah, so it, like, it has a fancy handshake sequence. And so we go through all of that, right? We're all the way up. To, and like, everything looks happy. Everything's happy. Like, loading code out of its ROM. Everything seems happy, and it hangs out for a second and a quarter. We never see any spy wiggles, and then it just resets. And it's like, reset, hang out, reset, hang out. Like, and so, so, so meanwhile, we're trying to get ours to work. Rick, on the other side of the country, has an ethanol X that he's trying to get to break in the same way that ours is broken. 
What what's an ethanol X? Right. So ethanol X. Yeah. Ethanol X. Ethanol X is uh, a reference system from AMD. So so the CPU vendors when they release a processor, typically make an entire motherboard and uh, provide that to the OEMs as a, this is how we expect you to build it, and this way you have something to compare to when something doesn't work. You can at least see an example of, of a working system. And, um, I mean, like, at, at this point, Rick's ethanol has already had a significant amount of surgery um, because we, we've like, yeah, prototyped so... some things before we cut out, and then we've he's been instrumenting it to get sequencing samples so that we can compare against, you know, our own design. I I have no shame about taking a soldering iron to a very expensive motherboard. Uh, so yeah, there, there were many experiments where I was just totally willing to remove components and attach wires and, and do all sorts of things. So my board was in a good shape to use as this candidate for, okay, if we can't figure out why our board isn't working, can I modify my board to look as close as possible to to our board and see if I can get it to fail in the same way. Which was it was and... incredibly valuable because uh, the what we discovered is Rick no Rick could not get this board to fail no matter what he did right. and and actually it was really important because there would be hypotheses about different signals that we don't have wired up or wired up differently than ethanol. And Rick would be able to validate, like, nope, that doesn't matter because I can hold that low and it still boots. I can do this to that and Despite it still boots. Despite what your documentation well, I, says, this doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I think we should talk a little bit about KB Reset L. Uh, oh, absolutely. Know? KB Reset L. So, K, so, yeah, so explain KB Reset L. So, KB Reset L is, you know, you know, like something that our company generally hates, right? Because it's this like leftover vestige of like a keyboard reset. And so it's like a, a pin that maybe could make the processor reset. And, you know, today that's all connected up to actual BMCs and that kind of thing in different designs. Um, AMD suggested that, like, you know, on our, like in the documentation, it's like if you're not using this, it'll internally pull up high. So float it. And so that's what our design did. We floated it. Um, you know, as we're going through the debugging, that was one of the things they suggested. Like, can you, like, confirm that KB reset, hell, reset L is high? And so we're like, oh, sure, no problem. And so then, you know, as we look at our board, though, we realize since it's floating, like the via from the socket to the back of the board has been stripped off. And so the only like this this connection, like I, and I don't know how people are familiar with uh, the SV3 sockets, but SV3 sockets have like little spring pins in them and they reach up and touch little uh, like gold dots on the bottom of a processor. And those little spring pins are kind of like little tiny wires, and they're wired down to balls that are soldered onto the top of the board. And then, you know, for, for signals that need to go elsewhere on the board, we have a via right next to that, and, you know, the signals fan out on internal layers. However, for signals that, um, like KB Reset L, that doesn't go anywhere, um, oftentimes the vias get removed as part of the, you know, CAD and layout process. So on this board, we have the spring pin soldered down to a ball on the on the top of the board that we can't really get to, and then it doesn't come out to a via in the back. And so, you know, Eric and I are sitting there trying to figure out how we might, you know, figure this out. And Eric's like, I think I can solder onto this thing. And so we have we have got pictures of this. It's it's pretty impressive work on Eric's part. But he uh, he stuck a you know 30 gauge or a 40 gauge magnet wire 
down and we tacked underneath the bottom side of the spring pin under the socket and soldered onto that and so we could wire that pin out and look at it and then we could tie it high or low and you really need the dime for scale oh like if God, you look at it without the dime you're, you're like oh yeah i don't know that, that looks is that small and then you look at like what is that massive star there it's like oh no that's a dime you're like oh right. god yeah i mean the magnet wire is uh thicker than like human hair right but uh it's a lot thinner than even a 30 gauge rework wire so yeah and is magnet then... wire like a standard tool in your tool belt like did you have that yes. hanging around yeah okay. yes. absolutely everybody's yeah. got a spool of this stuff yeah and it's nice for this kind of stuff or if you need to tack to traces uh like we use a lot of 30 gauge for like most of the rework but like for really nasty things um the magnet wire is really awesome for that so and we'll uh, we'll tweet out a photo of that because that's yeah. pretty but pretty yeah. mesmerizing and so this is and i'm thinking like this is okay i get it gods i hope you've enjoyed your little playtime you have punished us by making KB reset L, the fact that it's floating, the fact that we've got a pin in this microprocessor that has to do with the keyboard, which obviously this thing will never have. It's like, okay, we get it. Joke's over. Can we please boot now? Now nope. we can boot. Nope. 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 No. That was not it. That was not it. Yeah. And and meanwhile, you know, we're running all these other experiments on in in my uh, my board. I've managed to remove something like 40 components <laughs> from the ethanol X and I just have this like growing pile of resistors that, and my board is still right. booting. Like that's it's the like, amazing part. It's like, it's actually still like, working. We can't fine. do anything right. We can't even break a machine correctly. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You ever seen Beverly Hills cop? I think it's Beverly Hills cop three where Eddie Murphy's driving this car out of a chop shop and parts are just falling off of it. <laughs> right, exactly. I just, that, that's Rick's ethanol. <laughs> that's Rick's ethanol. And parts falling off of it. I, so I, I, I have to say, if I can just take it now a quick aside to uh, read an excerpt from this book I read on ENIAC, because I boy, did I feel this. Um, uh, when things wouldn't work, frustrated workers referred to the machine as the maniac. Uh, th uh, another of the engineers remember joking that if they gave their drawings to the Germans, they would set back the war effort 10 years. We were young and deeply involved. We felt like the whole war program depended on us, Goldstein said. There was a real sense that we were doing something very extraordinary, which I felt like this thing is the maniac. Like, like what is going on? And I also feel like we've got the total confidence that we're going to resolve it, but at the same time, total confusion about what's happening. Yeah. And, and, and AMD is being it. super helpful with this. Yes. I mean, AMD is like making all sorts of, I mean, they are like, boy, we have not really seen anything like this. And they're making a lot of suggestions and we're acting on all of them. This is where I think Nathaniel writing everything down was a real win. Yeah, we, at oh, this point, yeah. we have 136 and, pages of notes. Right. Yeah. And so this is also where you start to question reality, <laughs> where you're like, okay, so, so clearly following the documentation didn't work. Uh, Trying to break our board or break our reference design didn't work. Uh, we're not getting any answers from from the vendors because you know they're working hard on it, but we just nobody knows what is wrong with this thing. And running out of options as to what could possibly be wrong. Right. And so yeah. start getting into the okay. So what are the really wild things that I've encountered in past bringups that could possibly be wrong? And, and this is where we run into things like, yes, I have been on a bring up where it turned out that somebody's multimeter was not had not been calibrated and was, in fact, reading wrong. Oh, 
and that takes a really long time to figure out. Uh, you know, things like that. Um, and, and just asking all these mundane questions of, okay, now we just have to really check our, what yeah, are we missing? missing right, yes. We're missing and something. I mean, and so Eric and I live like 20 minutes apart. And so every day Eric is showing up with a trunk full of more stuff. And so it's like, you know, one day it's the SDLE, another day it's the Ethanol X, another day it's like, you know, uh, a Keithley <laughs> two, DMM. Two different DMM. <laughs> yeah, two scopes and, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, just to try and like, you know, zero in on, on whatever is going on here. And, and we've, we've been instrumenting, we've been instrumenting our part, of course, like at some point in, in this process, like we drop a probe on a powered board and it toasts the board. And so then it's like, that was a Friday. That was a bad like day. Friday at like eight 30 in the morning. And it's like, Oh, and, and, you know, and like, we're going into the holiday week the next week. So we had a super small window. Yeah. That was like, yeah. Oh, and it's man. like, well, okay. I mean, that board had, you know, like days of rework on it. And so it's like, well, you know, because we have a whole bunch of stuff that we don't actually ever want to see again, but it's like brought out right now so we can get the scope trap ca captures that we need for sequencing. And so, so we, you know, we shipped that one back to our, our vendor to have a BGA part replaced that, that blew up. And, um, and so we start, you know, start round two on another board. And, you know, I mean, like at a certain level, you're like, well, maybe there was just something wrong with that. Board, <laughs> right. But, but yeah, it, it, it's had a spell cast on it. That, right. that makes sense. But, but at the other side, you're like, now I've got to check everything else again because I've got to, you know, get back to that same place. And so we get back to that same place, you know, over the weekend into Monday. Well, and, and the thing that's also worth mentioning on some of these theories, and Rick, I'm, I'm sure you and Eric felt the same way. On some of these theories, you'd be like, okay, well, we're going to try it with this thing set the other way. But fuck it, this is it. It's going to be very distressing because it's going to mean that, you know, this signal that's clearly documented to float or this signal that's clearly right. documented to be one way it magically needs to be the other way. It was almost like, I want this thing to boot, but not at the cost of my sanity, I don't think. But then I was like, you know what, I'll give out my sanity. Fine. Right. <laughs> well, there, there's also, there's always the... How much is it? How painful is it going to be to fix this if we're right? Yeah. Because at this point, you, you know, it's a significantly thick board. It's got all these, you know, all this work that we're trying to do on it. If it turned out that we made a mistake on something that was an inner layer, like that starts to get into a very, very difficult yeah. to solve problem. Yep. Well, and we did find so before we blew up the board, we did find uh, kind of a crappy layout on our OV9 supply to the core. And so I remember, you know, one afternoon, we, Eric and I had found that, um, you know, as we as the processor loaded, we could I see thought that the, was it. We I could thought see that was the it. voltage fold back, and it was like this rail has fairly tight specs on it. We're not meeting it. You go look at the layout, and the layout kind of got botched, and it was like, okay, we, that's it. You know, this this has got to be it, right? That's like, got to be we're it. We're getting under voltage, and, and, and so the thing's we dropping like a hundred millivolts on a freaking point nine volt rail, right? And so, but, and so, you know, we, we chatted with people and it was like, okay, this is it. And so like a lot of good ideas, you know, like we could steal voltage from some other supply on here. And Eric's like, no, I think I can just copper tape a new plane onto the bottom and <laughs> fix it. And so, so he, that he, was amazing by the way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as a, as a software guy seeing that, I'm like, really? That's, that's what we're doing now. Okay. Cool. No, no, no awesome. it was amazing. Cause also I felt like I was, I felt like this fits all the evidence that we've got. This has got to yes. be it. 
And Steve, you remember you, us talking at the office. I'm like, the, the good news is this is it. The bad news is it's going to be it's it's not going to be reworkable. As it turns out, like both of those were wrong. <laughs> it's yeah. Like it is reworkable, and it's not it. And I mean, to be fair, like it only requires one layer of copper tape. Like we didn't have to put Capton on and add a second layer or anything, you know. So like in in the grand scheme of rework, the the SP pins were probably worse rework than than this but so eric lays down a new copper plane and you know we try again and of course it's the now the supply is rock solid and the board still reset loops and and actually it should be said that like the our sdle like report card adam that you were asking about earlier we have gone from like you know like a's and b's to like a pluses I mean, yes. we are now, like, the margin on this thing is now, to the point where AMD's like, wow, I've never actually seen power this good. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is amazingly good power. Like, the margin like, wow. there is incredible. Great. Like, wow. Thanks for nothing. Right. Right. Very impressive. It's like, okay, can you boot now? Like, please, please, right. please boot. And then in, in and then, uh, Erica, you, I'll walk you through the, 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 walk you up to your big breakthrough. But it was in part of those conversations with AMD where they're just, like, just throwing a bunch of stuff out. About you know check this check this check this and they 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 mention the SVI two traffic and looking at just make like go back and kind of and we'd already looked at that stuff and it hadn't been an issue. Well, um, and, and, S- but and the SBI power supply is responding to the command yeah, right. from the process. And SVI two is required to pass SDLE, and so right. like it's clearly working. It's clearly working, and so it's like we're not like okay, but we know the SVT is working, and so Eric, maybe you can walk us through your thought process uh, based on that. I mean, because that clearly like got you just digging deeper on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we were desperate. <laughs> yeah, very desperate. But like one of the one of the AMD folks just casually mentions like, oh yeah, I saw you know some support ticket or somebody mentioned that like, oh if you don't see a VOTF in the right amount of time, that could you know that could cause this reset loop, and I'm like, the hell's VOTF? And so I go look at the SVI2 spec, and I look at VOTF as the, the special, it's a special packet that gets sent by the power controller when, like, let's say a processor change, requests the voltage change. So, like, let's say the, you know, the load, you know, the app load on the processor has really gone up, and it really wants to, you know, get tons of power really quick. It'll tell the voltage regulator, hey, I want, you know, instead of 1.0 volts, I want 1.1 volts. Because I really And this is a... And- VOTF is V in on the fly, right? I think it's yeah, the, voltage it's what VOTF on the fly, and then the and, C is and, complete. Right. So it's an on the fly voltage change request from the processor. It could be up, could be down, whatever. And that is sent successfully. Yep. That's well, no, it's so and, the the process. The, the well, the command is go to one point one volts. Is. I see the slew up to one point one volts. It's well controlled. There's no overshoot. There's no ringing. There's no nothing. It looks beautiful. And then I'm like, okay, well, what the hell? Like, is there anything in this tool that the SDLE runs on that measures something in here? And it's like, oh, okay, SVI2 measurements, whatever. And I'm like, man, what the hell does this packet even say? And so I zoom in because it has a little, it even has a utility to capture SVI2 packets. Like, with that transition, you can tell it to transition. It'll capture the traffic right after it. And I realized that it doesn't seem to be sending a VOTF packet. It just sends normal, like there's there's two single direct. It's like a spy bus at like three megahertz or something, and so there's a data bus that comes from the processor to the controller, and then there's a telemetry bus that goes from the controller to the processor, where the processor is told, hey, 
your rail one is at you know 1.1 volts and your current is you know 38.7 amps and temperature is blah 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 and the processor uses that for something and i realized that it's just sending normal like telemetry back it's not sending the votf packet when it's supposed to be it's not sending the complete packet it's, it's not, not saying i it's not, it's, not, it's not responding with i've done this yeah it's not responding with the hey i finished even though it's right. finished and it was responding and sending telemetry and otherwise behaving normally literally half the protocol yeah. it is implementing the half of the protocol that changes the voltage yeah. but not the half the protocol that said i did it yes and so i sent an email renaissance fae who is awesome and responds very quickly with a uh yeah so if you try this different software and you you know there's a little button that should be pressed and the GUI, and it's like, okay, I push that button, but all right, fine, y'all, get this newer version, and install it, and then, ding, there's the VOTF complete. I'm like, what the? <laughs> so, in the end, there was a there there was a arguably a, I mean, from our perspective, a bug, and actually from Andy's perspective, a bug too, in that the SDLE was not was actually looking at the telemetry packets, but didn't actually note whether the complete packet had been sent or not. Even though it easily has the, the yes. of looking yeah. at that and really should be checking, should be checking that. that. And, um, and a bug in the power tools that when you turn yeah. this feature on, it only turned half of it on. It turned half of it on. We yeah. set that bit to 0. 0.5. <laughs> um, so, so in the true spirit of Oxide, this turns out to be a firmware bug. Um, yeah. Oh, God, it is. It is. I kind of hate to say, I hate to be so on brand, but yes, it is. And I mean, but to be clear, like everybody, honestly, in this, this is one of these things that like all of these folks were incredibly helpful in in, in helping us get this problem resolved. And we're really grateful to Renaissance and AMD. Um, And then importantly, like we get all of this, uh, uh, this FAE at Renaissance is just terrific and got us everything that we needed. Because I was worried that like, we're going to have to like, get a new part right um or we're gonna have to like navigate some huge bureaucracy within renaissance to find an answer to why this is happening and they won't know and it'll be like oh god now what it's like we should have used this other part this wasn't the part they used in the reference design none of that happened for me oh no here's yeah Yeah. and no worries we get get the new new things programmed and boom spy wiggles we get spy wiggles and then we get the we noticed that the spy wiggles pins aren't quite right. And we have right. another, another, <laughs> right. know, another I, little swap. But we have, yeah, you know, I do. It's kind of like, the, it's kind of like the action movie that's like, you think like the villain is dead, the movie's over. It's like, oh, no, no, not, not quite over. Right. We got to do, we got to do one more little rework. Monty Python. Not dead yeah, exactly. Yet. Just a flat But I mean, moon. that was real clear. Like, we had, you know, that board was ready with headers instrumented on the spy and everything. And so, as soon as we saw spy wiggles, it was like super clear that like you know D zero and D one are swapped. My God! And damn it, we swapped SI and like, Oops! And so you know a little little trace cut and a little jumper jumper and magnet wire later and so and then so we uh, that was kind of the end of that day. I mean, so like because yes. I got that home and had to do i had to do some uart rework like so we didn't bring the uart we needed to bring uarts out to a header so we could see them and some other stuff and and so 
that was that was, and then the next day we had a demo we had a demo and and it well uh we had a demo that was uh talk about the eye of sauron whipping to me where so the the first thing that's going to happen are these spy wiggles where the PSP, which is this bot, this proprietary uh, security core inside of the AMD part, it downloads its firmware and then it's going to start booting the processor. And then the first thing we're going to see out of this thing is it attempting to train DRAM by asking where the DRAM is. And this is where it actually is going to hit our code. And Nathaniel gets everyone out. Well, yeah. we're gonna, let's get a demo and then. And so, I mean, so we lay, so, I mean, and to be fair, like I knew we were going to land there cause I had gotten there that night, uh, yeah. the night before, but it was like, this is good. Cause like we have characters coming out the UART from the SP3 oh. and then in our, in our design, our service processor sits as a proxy for the SPD EPROMs that are on all the DIMMs because we want access to those in our control plane. And so that's the code that Brian's talking about where the, the AMD processor is going to go out and talk to our service processor and think he's talking to DIMMs and we proxy all of that. And, and so it just, it kind of zipped through and said, none of the DIMMs are present. Which of course, like could be lots of different things. Fortunately, this is where I think the tooling and all the, the, the stuff we've done, we were very quickly able to determine that I had fucked up and I, I had a <laughs> cut and paste error from, I actually was looking, I'm like, I don't like. I'm looking at my own code, being like, "How is this this fucked up?" And Rick has realized, like, you cut and pasted it from Gimlet, what not from Gemlet. Yeah, it's a. Pin, it was just a pinout problem. It wasn't even a logic problem. No, it wasn't a logic problem. It was just pin problem, super easy fix. And then we came all the way up. Except then we ended up with like uh, Keith had left you an image that had a very dramatic "Hello World" message, but now we had a Windows terminal problem, such it could not right. give you the actual like glorified image properly and now we're into like new unsolved problems of how to get putty configured correctly with respect right. to line frames. yeah so there yeah we had to you know you need the implicit uh carriage return on line feed or whatever and um so we got that done and you know kind of cycle the whole thing over and get all the way up and we see hello world and oxide's you know nano bootloader that keith's been working on and it was glorious. So we got and, all I mean, the way through. Running, yeah. yeah, that's running our x86 code, right? Which is kind of the important part of that. Because everything up until that point is kind of running AMD's blob of stuff that does all the DRAM. Like, we don't get to control that. And so then, ta-da, we're running our code. And it means the DIMM's trained and everything else. So yes. it, we always long way to go, but uh, definitely uh, wind at the back. And... You know, Steve, you'd said that you had had a line relatively early in this of like, we're going to have a good story around the campfire when all this is done. Um, I think you've just been at the campfire. Well, Brian, you're, you're getting, you're forgetting that last little bit of the story. So we get to this wonderful point. You can see yes, the output. Yes, it shows that we booted. And then you can't <laughs> type anything. Oh, getting the last yeah. part of the story. Oh my God, oh, how can I forget this? That's yes. Right. Uh, I will never forget this. Right. And so, it, and because like we are who we are, everyone's mind is immediately running to the absolute worst case scenario. So right. Keith is like, you know, we are hitting, you know, it's a therm trip or, you know, we're, we're like the, the CPU is shutting right. down or, you the know, we're stuck. Yeah. Processors Cause, stuck. So, cause, so we get a, we get a terminal basically, right. With Keith stuff. And so I should be able to issue characters and no characters occur. And so, you know, it's like, okay, we, we kind of shut the demo down at this point, And I'm like, look, We'll go figure out what's wrong with the serial port. You know, and there, you know, there are only three or four wires here. It can't be that hard, right? Um, 
and you know so looking looking into it and it's like it's it's we're using hardware handshaking because this is all up at three megabaud and um the the pin that our ftdi dongle should you know should set low to or uh, sorry the the pin he should see the processor have set it low so that he can issue characters it's high it's floating high and we can't issue characters and so you know we go through and you know if you've ever dug through ftdi data sheets you know they're tx and rx and like you know every i feel like every hardware and embedded guy in the world has had to deal with like who's tx and who's rx and like which direction do all of these things go go through all of that everything's fine so i i spent you know the rest of the afternoon kind of chasing that and I, I get to a spot where like I finally probe the board in such a way that I realize like, oh, my my dongle isn't working. You know, my FTDI chip is is not doing what I'm expecting. And you know, at, at that point I'm kinda like, okay, I'm I'm putting the computer down, I'm going away. Like this has been too much today. <laughs> Which I'm is done. I have to say, Nathaniel, you've got I mean, you have such a high threshold for pain. When Nathaniel had <laughs> the message in the channel being like I am walking away from the computer for the day. You're like, okay, it, it, it's uh, it's grim over yeah. there. Now, the the sad part is, of course, I go upstairs to watch TV or whatever, and all I can think about <laughs> right, is why exactly. isn't this working? The so, computer is like, you'll be back. Yeah. So I I come back down, and I'm like, I'm gonna like, and you know, I had tried like two other FTDI, um, you know, uh, mini modules, and like I was getting different behavior on each one, which is never inspiring confidence, both in like how you're testing it and like the product itself. And, um, but you know, like, and it's like, well, I, it's gotta be something I'm doing. So I, I come back down and, you know, I'm looking at this pin and it's an input and it's kind of floating high. And so I'm like, I'm just going to ground the pin with a little DuPont wire. And so I grab one of the DuPont wires and I just like connect that pin to ground and I measure it with my DMM and one side is ground and the other side is floating. <laughs> And I'm like, wait a minute, like this, this, I mean, this, this is not like electrically possible. <laughs> right. And so, so, so then I pull the DuPont wire off and I ohm it out and it's an open circuit. Where, 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 And it's wah. like, right. And so then I'm like, okay, so that explains, you know, part of what's going on here. But I'm like, but I have this other DuPont wire over here that. And so I own that one out, and it is also an open circuit. So, and could, um, so DuPont wire, we're talking these are like the, 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 the jumper wire that you have in like a, a breadboard, a maker breadboard. Yeah. This, is, this is like stuff that can't fail. Well, well mostly. I mean, it, it's so of the seven DuPont wires that I had involved in this setup, two of them were open circuits. And two of them were open circuits, and like, I'm like they were broken or something because or, or maybe like heavily oxidized because like I pulled the plastic off to look and it's like the copper is still crimped in the crimp and and they're open and so that it happened to be that was the pin um you know the RTS CTS pin was an open circuit and so as soon as I got an actual wire there like I know we we said that talk about a bullet whizzing over the ear so that only because that that implied that flow control was constantly on, we couldn't TX. If that had been on another pin, it wouldn't we wouldn't have seen anything. Yeah, we, right. We would have ended up back into like Salie land, putting space yes. on things. Yeah, right. And, exactly. And like, probably, we would have figured it out. 
probably we would have figured, figured that out pretty quick because like we would have seen it wiggle. But it like it depends because it depends on where you put the salier. Because if you put it at <laughs> right. the end of your broken wire, um, you know you're not going to see what you expect. So. So yes, Rick, thank you very much for remembering the, the end right. of that. It's just, I mean, a, a broken DuPont wire at the end. So it's like busted I, firmware, broken DuPont wire, KB reset L. Like, gods, are you happy yet? Are the gods content at this point? Can we, Jesus Christ? Well, like I said, we we had already gotten to the point where we were questioning reality. We just we did it a little too early. <laughs> right. It was so I I can confirm that all that entire set of DuPont wires has been scrapped. So. We're not going to mess with those anymore. There you go. Done with those. Uh, well, it was a um, and Adam. I'm sorry. I know you've got you've, uh, Josh. No, no. This is this has been a killer. This has been killer. Uh, but I feel like this is a story that had to be told. And I feel Absolutely. like also these are the stories that are, are are frequently not told, honestly, because they they kind of are they're told kind of you know among you know engineers at a company or what have you, but they're not often told publicly. But um, this one was obviously. Uh, well, and also Matt, you, Matt had been asking every week, so it's like we had to, you know, gotta we, tell him something. Uh, gotta, gotta tell him something, exactly. That's right. So, um, but it, it was this was a hell of an odyssey. Um, on the one hand, we were confident the entire time. On the other hand, we were also terrified the entire time. Or I was terrified. Um, Steve, sorry, maybe you don't want to hear this right now. Um, the <laughs> Uh, but it, it, because it is, I mean, the, the, the problem, what makes this kind of work exciting and terrifying is if you don't get through this, you don't have anything. Like, I remember us joking about like, hey, how much could we run on the service processor anyway? Maybe customers want to run their workloads there. Maybe they don't want a CPU. <laughs> um, but it's, we'll call it our ARM data center. That's our ARM data center. And th- th- this is the challenge of this kind of, but it also makes it super exciting and, and so validating when we actually get all the way through it so it was it was it was a hell of a ride and i'm sure there are more rides in our future but that one i think is always going to be special all right uh and daniel i saw that you i don't know if you anyone else want to chime in here do you want to be mindful of adam's time and uh, and also especially nathaniel and, and eric and central time i know it's late for you for you both but oh this has been fun uh, this has been it, it, it's it's been fun because it booted that's why it's been yes. fun. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, we that's right. Less fun last week. A <laughs> lot less fun last week, and I assumed everyone knew that the ending must have been good because we would not be so chipper about talking about what a disaster everything was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it 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 definitely has been fun to re- to uh, to relay this. Um, and yeah, on to the on to the next on to EVTV. All right. Um, Adam, anything uh, ready to wrap? Killer. No, Nathaniel, Eric, this has been awesome. Rick, thank you for for this. You know, I, uh, for folks outside of Oxide, even inside Oxide, I get a couple of these pieces often without the explanation to really appreciate it. So this has been awesome. And uh, for future generations of Oxide employees like this, um, this recording is going to be a, a great thing to put in the time capsule. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Thanks. Yeah, thank you.